Welcome. You're listening to the Bush Wanderlust podcast with hosts Ali Smith and Katie Watson. Buckle in as these two birds from the bush take you on a road trip. Around the Narrabri region in northwest New South Wales, Ali and Katie will introduce you to the lovable locals. Just call in and enjoy yourself. Cheers. Cheers. And explore all the magnificent wonders right here in Australia's backyard. They're just a fascinating animal, you know. Who would put a pink slug on top of a mountain? As the locals say, just you, five million stars, a mountain range and a yowie. It's time to hit the road. So I met Shane at the Narrabri Rugby and his sister basically set us up and he... We're all good love story stars. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're all good love story start. So, and then we just sort of started seeing each other and, yeah, and two years later we were sort of married and he's probably my rock. I couldn't do what I'd do without him. Hello and welcome to our first episode. Today, Katie and I are on the road to meet every country bride's dream wedding caterer, Narrabri's Katrina White. Just the sound of Trine's name will have tummies rumbling across our region because here we know her cooking is just so scrumptiously good. But it's not just brides from the bush who want a piece of this Northwest girl's pie. That's right, Trine's even got the call up to cater for fabulous Channel 7 journalist Edwina Bartholomew's Big Day. Born and bred on the dusty cryon plains near Walgut, Trine grew up on a farm and is one of seven children. She trained in Ireland at the world-famous Ballymaloo Cookery School. Very fancy. Trine had the world at her feet when she completed the course and could have made it in the bright city lights. But instead, she returned to her country roots and runs her catering business relish from right here in Narrabri, where she employs a swag of locals who work with her at weddings across the countryside. Trine lives in town with her handsome husband, Shane, and two beautiful girls, Willa and Bonnie. Thank you for joining us, Trine. Thanks, Ali. Now, Trine, we said in our intro, Narrabri's Katrina White, but I reckon the people of Walgut would be pretty quick to claim you as their own also. Tell me about your life growing up. So I'm the eldest of seven children. There's 18 years difference between the eldest and the youngest. So I've got three brothers and three sisters. And I actually, although Walgut is my address, I actually went to a tiny little school called Burren Junction Public School. And in my last year of school, there was actually only three of us. So there was two boys and myself. But it was a great little school. It was really, I was, you know, we were all, everyone was, because it's so small, everyone was friends with everyone. And it was a great little community. And we used to catch school bus every day, backwards and forwards, um, where we used to play, you know, every on the way back and all the way forward to school. And from there, I went away to an all girls boarding school. So I thought that was amazing when I got there, going from a school of 30 kids to a school of 350 kids and all of them were girls. So yeah, it was great. I loved it. I love growing up in the bush. Like my mum and dad have um, been farmers all their lives and they are from Walgut as well. So yeah, no, it was, it's, it's a great little community out there. We are lucky enough to have so many great schools in our region. Treen, many of them have a defining school motto <laughs> that seems to stick with students for life. Can you remember your primary school motto when you were there? <laughs> um, I do laugh. 
I still remember it to this day. Look, listen and think. And I was actually the, well, the head of the school, but at Byron they have a parliament. So I was actually the prime minister of the school. So that was another plus for me. So yeah, it was good fun. A highly sought after position. Yeah. How much of attending a little school like that and perhaps then transitioning to a bigger boarding school, how do you think that shaped you today in terms of who you are and your resilience in business? Because I'm the eldest of seven kids, I've always been a pretty independent sort of a person anyway. So I had always known right from like, you know, I could remember that I was always going to go to boarding school because we didn't really have any options. It was like an hour and a half both ways to go to a, a high school. And I I was really looking forward to it. And where I went to school was quite a creative. It was more, you know, there was, I did like jewelry for the HSC. It was kind of a very creative and it was like, a, it was in the country as such, but close enough to the city that you could come in and out basically. I think it was a good thing going to boarding school, even though I was independent, it just makes you more independent and you look after yourself, you appreciate home, you appreciate your parents and your your family and it kind of opens your eyes to different people, I think. Trin, being the eldest of seven children, was it essential growing up that you whipped on an apron and jumped into the kitchen? Yeah, look, I used to do lots of cooking. I actually used to do lots of sewing when I was a kid, like that was my thing. My mum is a really good gardener so she spent a lot of her time out in the garden my dad was probably, he did a lot of the cooking when we were growing up. Like it was, wasn't fancy, but he is really good in the kitchen. And to this day, like Sunday breakfast at Crown is like his thing. So my grandmother was a really good cook. So that's probably where I sort of learned a lot of cooking from. I remember growing up on chocolate flamange and all these like meringues and she used to have bad knees and we'd always joke because she used to take forever to get to the chook yard and back to get more eggs to make the next thing so her meringues was so good because she'd leave the beater on basically while she was going to get more eggs but I still use some of her recipes to this day I use well I call it lemon curd but she called it lemon cheese I use um, a butterscotch recipe that of hers I use her Christmas pudding recipe which I sell in the shop at Christmas time and everyone loves it she died when I was only about 10 years old, but I kind of think, I think she'd be pretty proud of the fact that I kind of went down in that sort of industry because she, that's what her passion was. She just loved cooking and she, that's all she wanted to do is get up and cook all day. So I think that probably had a bit of a gene in there somewhere that I was going to do something like that. I don't know. Trine, I think she would be super proud yeah. <laughs> of you, to be honest. That's so special having her recipes and that you, um, that you still use them. You're such a success story and it seems like you were almost born, I know that you will be blushing, but that you were almost born to be doing what you're doing. But has your career path always been this clear cut? Because I heard that you went to the June Daly Watkins, do you call it a school or a course? It was a business finishing school. She'd only been doing it for about three years at this stage, I think, the actual business finishing school. Before it was just the deportment side of things, how to dress, how to do your makeup, that sort of stuff. Whereas the business finishing school was, you know, more about typing, writing business letters. It had a deportment thing in it as well, but not, it wasn't every day. With June Daly Watkins, I should, I guess I, when I heard that, I was curious because I think it, she is such, or was, sorry, the late, yeah. was such a great Australian icon. And I think just for some reason, I always thought of images of girls with books. On their head, how would you, I guess for our listeners that aren't familiar with her, how would you describe her? Oh, she was total class. To go to the course, you had to wear this uniform and we had to wear black tights and uh, to carry a briefcase. 
it was just the most disgusting uniform. It was maroon and grey and it had this like little tie at the front. And we had to have a spare pair of um, tights in our briefcase just in case we put a ladder in it. And, um, yeah, she was funny. I remember a funny story about that is we, the first day we were at Joondali, we had to get up and say our name, where we came from and what excited us. That was the question. So we went, oh, my God, what do you say? And, oh, it's um, Trine O'Brien and I'm from Olgut and going on holidays excites me. And then this girl <laughs> called Doris she goes, G'day, my name's Doris. I'm from Burke. And she said, whips and chains excite me. <laughs> anyway, June said to June, just looked down and she said, well, Doris, we've got a bit of work to do here, haven't we? And so, but she, like, she was great. I remember in year 11, you know, it must have been, yeah, end of year 11. And I kind of really didn't know what I wanted to do, like at school. And everyone was applying for university. And I was like, I don't really love school. I loved, I loved boarding school. I loved the boarding side of things, but I didn't love school. I wasn't ever great at school. So yeah, at the end of year 11, June Daly herself came down to mm. Frensham and, um, Special. did the spiel about, you know, ladies and all the rest of it. There was a group of us. There was about three or four of us. And we went, we have no idea what we're going to do. Let's just go and do June Daly for 12 months and have a bit of fun and learn to put out and do our makeup and whatever. And I said, radio. So there was, yeah, four of us that went together. It was really good. I mean, still to this day, like I, I can type, you know, 75 words per minute. I can do shorthand. I can talk conversational Japanese, although that's a bit rusty these days. Can I know you? how to write, you know, business letters and all that sort of stuff. So I, yeah, no, it was a great little thing just to do after school. And then after June Delhi, you went on to Ballymaloo. Yeah. So, so tell us about that. How did you get, what inspired you to head to Ireland? I wanted to live in London. I wanted to live overseas and travel because that's what all my friends were doing. Just before I went, had a couple of years in Sydney. So I worked for the investment company. I did a, a 12 months of nannying. And then I decided that I was going to, I wasn't saving any money in Sydney because I went to the pub every weekend. So that wasn't <laughs> helping my saving program. So I decided to come home and one of our contract harvesters, he'd had a group of Irish guys harvesting for him. And we got to know this guy, well, mum and dad got to know this guy called Paul Moorhead. Three months later, his sister um, rang mum and said, I'm coming out, I was just wondering if you've got a cooking job. And dad said, oh, we're right for the cooking job. But he said, why don't you come out? We'll put you on a tractor or something like that because she's she'd grown up on a farm. Anyway, long story short is that Sal is Irish and she's my soulmate of a friend. She, Her and I just clicked. I remember picking her up in Narrabri here off the bus and we just became best friends. And then I was due to go overseas like she was out in Australia traveling for 12 months. And then I was going back over to London and I'd had a nannying job lined up. And I said, oh, I want to do a cooking course. I really would love to do something like that. And she said, oh, you should go to Ballymaloo. And so I kind of looked it up. So Ballymaloo is basically in Cork, at the bottom of Cork. And it is, you kind of live on site. So you live on the premises and it's three or it's three months intense like cooking. So you get up in the morning and they grow all their own herbs and vegetables so you go out, you pick all your herbs and vegetables, you make stock. Then you come in and you make a loaf of bread. It doesn't matter what type of loaf of bread. I did a lot of soda bread because I kind of like soda bread. Soda bread's very similar to damper. And then basically we would cook in the morning what we'd been demonstrated the day before. So it's intense. So we were there living on site, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning until 7 o'clock in the evening some nights. And then attached to that was Ballymaloo House, which was like it was pretty much a five-star restaurant slash hotel. Um, which was just down the road. And it was all owned by the same family. So you could go up to the house and cook in a proper restaurant if you wanted to do that as an extra. So yeah, I did that and it was great. Best thing I've ever done. I loved it because every single person there was a foodie 
and you just talk food. So you know how farmers get around here and they all talk about their spraying rates and what they're doing here. Well, that's exactly what I was like, but it was in a cooking environment. It was fantastic and beautiful and like my last name or maiden name is O'Brien. So it was kind of like I was a home away from home sort of thing. You know, I loved it. And through Sal, I had lots of Irish friends. Like, so I had, I could go from one end of Ireland to the other and just catch up with people and met lots of new people as well. So, and then from there, I went back to London because I've been nanny in London and I just joined a cooking agency. And then that's where I just sort of started doing bits and pieces and. Yeah, I was in a different kitchen and I worked for lots of different people basically. Yeah, it was good. So how long between then and then when you set up your own business? So I went to London in June for six months and I did three months. So yeah, it was not quite two years and I came back to Australia and I had a job lined up in Melbourne in a catering business because I kind of decided catering was more my thing. I didn't like restaurant work. It was a bit stressful and I like to be organized and like to know how many people and all that sort of stuff. So I lined up with um, a company in Melbourne and I was going to come back then. I thought, oh, I'm just going to have three months at home because I hadn't been home for two and a half years. So, and then I sort of started doing a few dinner parties and then a 21st. And then I said to my dad, I think I might start a catering business. Quickest way to go broke, he told me. Quickest way to go broke. <laughs> from a farmer that's rich. Isn't <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. So joking. from that, I started doing the frozen meals. I thought, well, I've got to do something on the, during the week. So I started doing the frozen meals and selling those. And mum, my mum and dad had just built a new house. So their old house had a great kitchen and a cool room and it was all set up. So I just bought a couple of freezers and a new oven and I started making frozen meals. And then I started doing a 21st and a dinner party and then it kind of got bigger and bigger. Yeah, and that's how I sort of got to Narrabri was because Narrabri was really central to everywhere that I needed to go and I just needed to be in a sort of a bigger town and Narrabri was our sort of bigger town that we always went to. So that's why we kind of came here. Whenever I see you at an event train, I just kind of marvel at how calm you are. <laughs> but did you ever have fails in that learning process? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if I'd said to myself, going, oh, yeah, I'm going to do a sit-down lunch for 500 people, I would have like, no way, like 50 people was massive. I suppose you just kind of, it gets bigger and bigger and half the time I'm in the middle of nowhere with not a lot of facilities. So sometimes there is, you know, the wind will be blowing out the gas. So you have bad days where you kind of go, that could have got a lot better. I suppose I haven't had any major, major fails, I don't think. Like I've kind of got my, I'm, I'm the sort of person that can kind of get myself out of them, if you know what I mean. But Definitely there's been some pretty ordinary days where I think, oh, my God, why do I do this to myself? Even down to just, oh, the flies and the heat and then freezing cold and you think, oh, it'd be much easier to be sitting at home on the lounge tonight. <laughs> so, But anyway, no, it's a challenge. And what I love about catering, especially in the country, is you're in a different venue every weekend in a different environment and a different people and, yeah, different setup. It's good. I think I remember when you showed up to a friend at Walgett's wedding and you got, you probably did know their place, but you're literally just looking for PowerPoints and tables. I mean, yeah. how resourceful do you need to be to do your job in the country? So basically I had a trailer made 15 years ago and it's got all our ovens on it. It's got a little cool room at the front of it. So literally it all runs on gas. So we only need one PowerPoint to run that and then some trestle tables and we can pretty much set up anywhere we like. So yeah, it's pretty self-sufficient, but I kind of wanted that because I like to know what I've got. Power is a bit of an issue sometimes, (laughs) but at least all our ovens and things run on gas. So I remember one wedding, you know, 
the power just went out. So there was no power in the marquee or anything, but they just brought in some candles and we kept on cooking because everything else ran out of gas. So they got their dinner, but it was all by candlelight, really. Yeah. No, there's lots of, I mean, I'm going to write a book one day because there is a, like a lot of stories. And we always joke, you know, you always forget three things and we're almost relieved when we get to the function when we remember the three things we've forgotten because then we can deal with it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, yeah, no, it's been a challenge, but it's, yeah, I feel like I've got my head around it these days. So, yeah. You do. Let's move on to some cooking hacks or your cooking tips for us. Firstly, I guess, what's your favourite dish to cook? Uh, favourite dish? I've got so many. You can give us your top three. <laughs> top three? Um, you can't pick. Look, you know, isn't it funny? When I first got back from overseas, I love pork and pork belly and I put it on my menu and yeah. no one ordered it. Like, it took me forever to get anyone now I would do pork belly every weekend so I would say that pork belly is probably my favorite and one of my signature dishes is like a, a pork crispy pork belly with like a Thai caramel yeah. sauce and like fresh herbs and stuff on top I'm actually not a pork lover but you converted me with pork belly yeah. your the first time I enjoyed pork was your pork belly yeah. <laughs> many yeah. years ago yeah I love duck as well so you know anything duck is yeah pretty up there with me I do love Kylie Kwong's like blood orange duck like that's pretty cool I like pull that out every now and then I don't know what else I'm I, I kind of depends on what sort of mood I'm in really yes <laughs> yeah yeah I don't cook what I make at work at home I sort of try and mix it up a bit so, so what's popular in the white household with the family um well like tonight we're having pork cutlets um which I've taken all the fat and stuff off and then we just, I just marinate them in fennel seeds, lemon zest, lemon juice, a bit of olive oil. And then we just have it with a coles, like I make a coleslaw that's got apple and shallots and dill and cabbage and just a crispy potato. And all my, my kids and husband, that's our go-to meal when we're busy and goes on the barbecue and it's easy. A bit yeah. of apple sauce. So My yeah. go-to is spaghetti bowl, so that's fantastic. Can I come for dinner? <laughs> no, I was like, can we live at your house? Yeah, <laughs> sure. There's a spare bedroom now. <laughs> I guess also, did you introduce the Northwest to all these different sorts of foods? Yeah, I think when I was living in London, Jamie Oliver was really up and coming then. And I probably think my food is probably a bit like his. I, I, think, I think out here you kind of, you've got to be generous with your food because there's some big guys and... I like sort of rustic, lots of flavour, lots of colour, lots of texture. Like when I first did it at 21st, all they wanted was beef stroganoff and curry chicken. And that was at every 21st, I think. So I think I've sort of converted a few people. And I think also too with cooking shows and things like that, people are more food, yeah, they kind of are more aware of what's out there. Definitely. Um, And also too, like the supermarkets here, you can get a lot more ingredients and things like you know back in the day you couldn't get all that sort of stuff so yeah somebody that does ask you for recipes is the lovely channel 7 journalist edwina bartholomew who i guess i've known through different things for a little while and you also catered for her wedding and i contacted her because really she could have hired any number of caterers but she chose you and i asked her why and she said we love treat she completely saved our wedding. Nothing was too much trouble and the food was absolutely glorious. I can tell that I'm making you embarrassed, but anyway. <laughs> I literally was just in the butcher buying some chuck steak to make her casserole recipe. I've recommended her to dozens of people since. Total legend. Cool. 
Did you even... <laughs> feels so sweet. Did you even get nervous doing her wedding? Um, no, I, I, I remember I remember getting into bed at two o'clock in the morning one night after I got home from another function and I sometimes you'd take it a little while to wind down and I opened my emails and there was this email from Edwina Bartholomew and I was like, and we watched Sunrise and I was like, surely it's not the Edwina Bartholomew. And uh, anyway, then I kind of read through and she had told me how she got my number and all the rest of it. So Edwina and Neil have got this most amazing property up kind of near the Blue Mountains. And um, so I actually went and met them because I thought, well, it is in the middle of nowhere. And she had kind of rattled off what she wanted. And I'm in my head saying, logistical nightmare, logistical nightmare. Anyway, let's I'll go and see where they – so because on their wedding day they kind of had three places and it, and it was kind of on a hill. So they got married in front of their house under a big pepper tree, which was amazing, and then they went up the hill to the marquee and had lunch and then they wanted to have dessert on another hill. And I was like, that's all good because we want to keep the kitchen in one spot. So we were kind of – making the canapes and driving them down the hill. And she also had this amazing big grazing table as well. Went and met them and they are the most down-to-earth amazing people. Like Neil would have to be like, I can see why Edwina B is how we call her, um, married Neil because he's just a great guy. Like really he met me, he was having eggs and bacon, bare shoe, like no, no shoes on and just really down-to-earth. And I remember saying to her, oh, do you want to have a tasting? And she's like, no, everyone said it's really good. We don't need that. I'm, I've got to go to the Olympics and, uh, yeah, no, it'll be all fine. Just, you know, turn up. So, And their menu wasn't overcomplicated either. Like it was just really down-to-earth and just just like them, they're just really down-to-earth. On the day was a little bit hectic, I must admit. So we were there for the whole weekend. So we basically did the wedding and then we did dinner that night and then we did breakfast the next day. So it was quite a big, like it was a weekend event basically. And they had beautiful marquee and amazing flowers and, you know, the glamping tents, which I'd never really seen before until then. So that was kind of, you know. How cool. Yeah, it was kind of funny to see Mark Beretta coming out of his glamping tent, you know. Yeah, and it was a bit hectic, I must admit, but it was a really, like she was so relaxed. Everyone was just there for a really fun day and I think because she'd gone to uni at Bathurst, she had some pretty down-to-earth sort of country friends and also yeah, she'd been to boarding school as well. So a lot of her friends were pretty down-to-earth, I think. She's but, a pretty down-to-earth chick. Oh, absolutely. So I imagine dream bride. Yeah, definitely. But I guess for a lot of people it's a very stressful day. Do you find yourself often kind of having to calm people down. Yeah, look, I find um, the brides that are super organised before the wedding are really great on the day. The ones that are a bit chilled beforehand are a little bit hectic on the day because they haven't thought about stuff until the day. Mothers of brides can be quite full on. Um, <laughs> this is so good for your book. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. But it's their day and you've got to kind of fit in what they want to do. And and you'll find that brides, they'll come to you with a 100 million ideas and then you have to kind of pair them back a bit because, A, they probably can't afford it, and, B, it's a logistical nightmare. So, yeah. But it's fun. That's a, that's a good part of my job. I really like that part of my job. Okay, so let's cast our mind back to a time pre-COVID when our yeah. social calendars were full and not cancelled. We normally have so many great events in the Narrabri region, many that you're a part of and cater for, like Nosh, We Wore Cotton Cocktail Night, the races, country balls, long lunches, ladies' day, to name a few. Even though the Narrabri region is a little off the beaten track, do you think we still turn on a good day and good food and wine? Absolutely, yeah. I think um, Narrabri is getting better at that, do you know what I mean? I think Nosh has been 
going for a long time now. So I don't even know how long. I'm, but especially now that COVID, like people are traveling regionally. They're not jumping on a plane to Bali and all the rest of it. Nowra is a great spot. It's, it's on their way to Queensland and there is lots of great people and interesting people, e.g. you two girls, like you've come out west. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good town for that. I think it's only going to get bigger and better for sure. What is, I guess, for people that don't know, tell us, because were you involved with NOSH in the beginning? Mm, I was, yeah. Tell us about NOSH. What is NOSH? Well, NOSH and the Namoy is basically, well, we set it up years ago to promote, we wanted to do a festival of some sort, and then we kind of thought food was where we're at. And, and at that stage, there was quite a lot of, you know, there was a lot of olives and bladigold pasta and, you know, a lot of sort of smaller boutique type thing. And we wanted to keep it that. We wanted to keep it sort of a boutique. You know, there was people from Marundi and a few people like that too, but it was sort of just to um, promote, you know, what we had out here. And that's how it all started. And I was on that. And then we sort of added a dinner and then there was, you know, it kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And I think it's a great event still. Like it's like that long lunch sells out and, you know, hours, which is great. You know, it's a great thing. And I mean, it's probably a little bit different now with you know, the Instagram and all that sort of stuff. But it was just a good way to promote small businesses and boutique little um, food vendors and that type of thing. I think it was, yeah. And then it was it was great to bring everyone to Narrabri. It was because I think Narrabri is kind of, you know, it's a centre town that brings in a lot of other little towns and it's kind of quite central, I think. Yeah, like, it's a great day. I went for the first time last year and loved it. We had a really good, a mm. really good time. With COVID, how have you managed to stay I guess I guess afloat and sane what are your you are a success story even if you might not feel like one what are your tips um I cried for the first three days when they started because we were just about to hit wedding season so I literally only did about four weddings and I had 22 weddings booked in I cried for the first three days a because it was just so sad for these girls because they were literally cancelling their weddings four days out and or two weeks out or a week out or whatever. And then as kind of the business packages came through with it, I thought, okay, well, we'll just get through this. And I've been very good at managing my diary this year because obviously we kind of thought like, so all the brides that were sort of going to have April weddings then tried to transfer. So then I thought we would seriously be okay. I thought there would be lots of restrictions, but I thought we would be back into full weddings by September, October. But that isn't to be. So now I've had another wave of not cancellations, but just transfers, I suppose. So it's really hard because I mean, I just knew in my head that I had all this work coming up and you budget accordingly. And then all of a sudden it's just not there one day, which is massive because we've just gone through three years of drought. And I kind of just thought, okay, if we can just get this year under our belt, we'll be great. Like we'll be flying again. So, yeah, no, look, I probably have gone back to my roots. I've picked up the freezer food and I've been delivering to lots of towns and been trying to promote that. And I did home delivery when everyone was in lockdown in the process of doing a new website. This talks about us maybe doing a cookbook, um, which I'd really like to do. And then we're now kind of expanding our retail business and moving into a bigger premises and trying to get into that side of things a bit more. But, yeah. I have waves, I go up and down, up and down, up and down. But, you know, I could sort of sit and do nothing or you just kind of get proactive and move on to the next thing is kind of how I'm looking at it. That's just the way. I've, I think my dad always talked that, you know, if you make the wrong decision or whatever, you deal with it and you just move on. And I think that's just 
kind of my whole attitude in life. You deal with it and just move on. We know you're every country bride's dream wedding caterer, but we actually haven't asked you much about your own love story <laughs> and why you chose to live or stay in Narrabri. Can you tell us a little bit about the White family? The White family. Okay, well, I was a bit of a late, I didn't get married until I was 34 and a half. <laughs> so I met Shane at the Narrabri Rugby and his sister basically set us up. And he... We're all good love story stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're all good love story stuff. And Shane hates rugby. He was into rodeos and he was definitely not a rugby player. But Mandy said to him, oh, you come to the rugby. And then one night he said, oh, Mandy said, oh, we'll get a lift with train, but we have to help unload all the pots from the rugby because I used to do like curries and stuff late at night. We'll get a lift to the pub, but we've got to help train unload the pots and then she'll drop us at the pub. I said, okay. And then poor Shane just got into the habit of having to unload dirty curry pots back into the shop. So, and then we just sort of started seeing each other and yeah, and two years later we were sort of married and we've got two girls, Willa's nearly nine and Bonnie's five. And Shane is probably, if you ask his family, he's fiery and all the rest of it, but we kind of just work. Like he's not very social, so that's great. He doesn't miss out staying at home with the kids every weekend, but he's probably my rock. I couldn't do what I'd do without him. Definitely not because he picks up the pieces fairly well. He's pretty good at washing and all that sort of stuff. Not that he does it all the time, but uh, and still yeah. unloading the pots. Still unloading the pots. Yeah, he still unloads and loads trailers, and yeah, he is definitely a big part of the business in that way. Like he's my backup crew. So yeah, we just kind of complement each yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, he's a good guy. Did you cater your own wedding? Because I heard it was quite the festival. <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah, it was funny. I, well, I was the first girl to actually get married at home. So mum and dad had like, we've got a big family anyway. And then by the time, cause mum and dad had been to lots of my friends' weddings and all that sort of stuff. So there was 190 at our wedding and I changed the menu like four days before. Cause we were going to have, what were we going to have? I can't even remember, but it was beef and salmon, I think. And then. I had a run of weddings where all they'd had was beef and salmon. I went, no, I'm not having that. I can't eat that anymore. So, yeah, I changed it to pork and lamb like literally three days before the wedding. It was over Easter and it was a late Easter. So it was one of those weekends where we had Good Friday, then we had the wedding on the Saturday, and then it was we got a public holiday for Anzac Day. So it kind of was like six, five or six days of nothing. Everyone just stayed and had a party really for yeah, it was good. They're probably glad to get rid of me. All my friends are like, yay, thank God she's got married finally. (laughs) (laughs) How much, I guess, for you, that idea of being around the kitchen table or eating together as a big group, is that something that's really special for you? Yeah. And look, we still try and do it. Like even we, like the famous like Sunday lunch out of crying, like we try and do that. I mean, I've got brothers and sisters sort of everywhere, but yeah, we, when we're all home, um, Shane gets really claustrophobic when, because we grew up in, in mum and dad's, when they built their new house, they've got a few more bathrooms. But when I grew up, it was kind of like a little cottage that mum and dad had tacked on a couple of times. So growing up, there was one, one bathroom and there was nine of us. So it was very communal. There was, you know, someone could have been in the shower or on the toilet or brushing their teeth or whatever. And yeah, as I said, Shane gets a bit claustrophobic because we're so used to living on top of each other. So we, you know, all of, you're all in, you know, and <laughs> I remember Shane coming out to meet mum and dad and he met all of us in one go. And he was like, I think he had to get a six pack at the bar and pub on the way because he was like so nervous. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> well, meal times are massive, like, you know, but we all do love getting together on a Sunday and having a Sunday lunch and 
a few wines and I get on really well with all my brothers-in-laws and sister-in-laws. So we all just are like one big massive, I'm not quite sure what we are, very loud and we all have a go at each other but don't have a go at each other. We bring it, it like there's no egos in our family, I suppose, because we all bring each other down a little bit if, if we get an ego. But it's good. We all stick up for each other. We're all very close, actually. And I suppose that's a good job. My mum and dad have done a good job on that, that. There's no family blues, if you know what I mean. Oh, they've done a super good job. Were you out doing farm jobs as a kid or were you more into the kitchen? Um, Because I think there were so many babies. I was probably helping mum more, more. I mean, we did stick picking and we did that sort of stuff. The boys were probably more on tractors and stuff like that. We we were sort of probably home helping mum because there were so many little ones, so we hanging out washing and, yeah. And the family joke was, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, mum's just going to have a baby, so we're going to Dubbo for three days. And it would be funny, like, you know, you talk to all your friends, like, what are you doing this holidays? Oh, I'm going skiing or whatever. What are you doing? Oh, we're going to Dubbo because mum's having a baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, go to the Dubbo Zoo, the Dubbo Jail, and then we come home, really. Like, that's that was our standard... That's what we did in Dubbo. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So mum had, yeah, three. Like she had the two boys and so while I was at boarding school. And do you cook with your girls at home? Yeah, we do. Um, Willow is a foodie. She's a nine-year-old and she she's always been taken out to really nice restaurants and she um, likes nice food and she'll try anything. Bonnie, not so much, but depends on how tired I am and I was like, Yeah, good on you. <laughs> <laughs> Trine, who's your foodie inspiration? Is it Jamie Oliver or? Um, I've got a few. I, I do like Jamie Oliver and I do sort of go back to some of his stuff. I kind of, yeah, I, I like a lot of his stuff. I love Karen Martini. I think she's great. I like Katie Quinn Davis, who is actually, she's a food photographer that's a chef. I really like her stuff. I like Chinese-wise. I like Kylie Kwong. I think she's really great. And we used to go to her restaurant quite a lot. So they're probably my sort of top ones that I really kind of go back to all the time. And Donna Hay to an extent too. Like she was very, like when I started cooking, she was very in and she's and she's she's great as well. Um, she has packet mixes too. Yeah, stuff. she does have the, packet mixes. The challenged, yeah. <laughs> the challenged people like me. Yeah, kitchen. see... I'd probably go for them too because I am not a dessert person. I hate making desserts. I hate having to measure things. That's just I'm a bit of a, you know, I kind of have to see something and I and I taste things constantly because different times of the year things taste differently. And that's one thing going back to Ballymaloo, I remember like we were all given the same recipe, all of us, and the difference from that dish to that dish to that dish was quite phenomenal because people interpret how to do it and what they add and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's quite I don't hesitate in giving any of my recipes because I sort of say to them, well, you could add just a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Yeah. That's so generous, Trine. Really? Because, I don't know, in some country towns it's like, you know, you ask someone for their marmalade recipe and they don't want to Yeah, it doesn't bother me. So, Trine, in our final segment, we've been asking each of our guests if you were going to send a postcard from the Narrabri region, what photo would you put on the front of that postcard? So I remember doing a breakfast in the middle of a cotton field and we were on top of like an irrigation channel and um, it was sunrise and there was cotton and it was quite cool. So I think something like that, I think you'd definitely, Nabra is definitely a cotton region, so I think you've got to include that. That's what I would be putting, a beautiful cotton field with the sunset probably. You can take the girl out of the farm but not the farm out of the girl. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Do you have any tips for um, travellers or tourists visiting our region, places to pop in and go to? Yeah, look, I think Narrabri is such – like that's what I love about Narrabri and I've just recently said 
this in country style. Like all the shopkeepers here are so welcoming and all everyone is really, it's a bit like Walgett. It's very down to earth and everyone's looking out for you, I think, in a business capacity. Look, there's so many great things here like Capital Mountains and Sawn Rocks and, I mean, that's just all the touristy sort of things. But I think you could go to the pub and have a beer and anyone would talk to you. Do you know what I mean? I think it's just one of those sort of places. I think it's – and I think it's great for people to get out of the city and come where it is a bit flatter and not stick to the coast. I think more and more people are wanting to get out and about to sort of more rural areas, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Wander our main street. Wander our main street. Lots of good shops in there. There certainly are. Thank you so much, Trine. It was a good chat. Thank you, Trine, for coming in and sharing with us. That was great. Cool. Just a random question before we unplug. Do you know what Doris from June Daly went on to do? Probably back in Burke. I'm not quite sure. Oh, so I never kind of kept up with her. She might be listening in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Hello to Doris if you're out there. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Bush Wanderlust podcast. We hope to welcome you to the Narrabri region soon. And a big shout out to our sponsor, the Narrabri Region Visitor Information Centre. The team there has a treasure trove of knowledge about all things Narrabri, from the pink slug to the Yowie and more. They know all the hidden gems, so call in or head over to www.visitnarrabri.com.au to find out more. Or follow the Narrabri Region or Bush Wanderlust podcast on social media. Stay tuned for more podcast interviews. And if you enjoyed listening today, please hit subscribe, leave a comment or share with a friend. Hope to catch you next time.